This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 4, Episode 15. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 15 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funy-Hatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Hello, Lynn. So today we're talking with Lucas Miller, <clears throat> author of Beyond Brilliance, The Blueprint for Learning Anything. So an uh, interesting topic for us as we talk about one of the skills of the future is uh, being able to learn and learn anything. Lucas is a Phi Beta Kappa graduate of UC Berkeley, one of the best public universities in the world, where he studied cognitive science and business and was a Regents and Chancellor Scholar. As an undergraduate, he conducted research in memory and performance psychology, won an international startup competition, and served as a mentor for multiple entrepreneurship courses. He consults for school systems in the Bay Area and is currently working on a neuroscience-based education company to help individuals and teams stay focused and do amazing work. Welcome to our podcast, Lucas. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And we are really excited to have this conversation. So we ran across your... Nice little book here uh, through the Getting Smart website. They did a someone did a review on it, and we thought this aligns so much uh, with our thinking and what we're trying to do here in our small little school district in Pennsylvania. And a lot of pioneers are out there trying to change education um, to be more aligned with the way that we learn as human beings. Um, so to kick off our conversation. Uh, what was the driving idea behind writing this book? Why, why write Beyond Brilliance? And why is it a great text for us educators and learners of all ages? Sure. It's a great starter question. So I think a good point to, to begin is to basically just kind of talk about my background, my passion for this as an individual first, and then kind of talk about the genesis of the project what it morphed into it and why I think it's a valuable resource for both students and educators. 
So I've always been a very self-directed learner. I've always liked reading books, kind of letting my curiosity take me wherever it ends up going. Uh, and so that kind of carried me through school. I, I really enjoyed it. I really got a lot out of discussing different topics with my classmates, with my teachers. When I got to college, I, I noticed something fundamentally changed. I noticed a lot of the techniques that I was relying on in high school and, and my peers were relying on in high school weren't working as well anymore. Uh, I started to notice that if I, if I wanted to continue to excel, I would have to kind of change my toolkit to adjust to the increased demand and the, the new style of classes. Um, and so I'll get to that a little bit more, but basically after uh, a semester of struggling in some of my more technical math and, and physics classes, I decided, okay, I was going to dive into just kind of the fundamentals of learning. How does it work? How can I, how can I do it better? And what, what really became the, the origin of this book was I remember I was getting inducted into Phi Beta Kappa, which is, it's a, it's an organization for the, the top 10% of students, uh, GPA wise. And I, I remember going to this dinner and, uh, I expected to see, a a very interesting breed of student, uh, kind of a set of students that, you know, maybe looked a little bit sleep deprived, a little bit stressed out. Maybe they weren't prioritizing their health or their social life. Um, and what I found was really interesting is that most of the students that I met there were all people I knew socially. Uh, they were all very high profile involved people on campus, people I would have never expected to be doing that well academically given their other commitments. And so I, I got really interested in figuring out, okay, these people all have something going for them. They've all figured out how to manage school and everything else that's important in their life. And so I basically set out to interview and actually video record a lot of these people as they studied to see if I could extract patterns from the way they learned. And I quickly realized that they were going about learning in a very different way, uh, in a very different way than I was taught in school, which for the most part was just, you know, take notes. And then if you want to study, reread those notes as many times as you can to kind of force that material into your brain. Um, and so just got really excited about, you know, researching this topic on my own, reading books with the, with the main goal of taking a lot of research that I was finding kind of hold up in different labs or, you know, different research communities and, and making it something that people can relate to, something that my peers, people, you know, slightly younger, slightly older can actually use and implement because quite frankly, no one is going to read really heavy scientific papers about this. It's just, it's boring. It takes too long. It's very hard to understand. And so I, I felt that there was a, a need for someone who was in the thick of the process, who knew students well, who, who knew how they think, 
how they interact with technology. They kind of translate all those main takeaways into something that's short and sweet and packed with really actionable insights for doing better and for making the learning process faster and more enjoyable. There's a why I think it's a great text for both learners and educators. For, for learners, one of the, the main choices that I made when writing it was I really wanted it to be structured differently. Uh, a lot of the kind of more science-focused books have a very clear structure. They're about 10 chapters, 20 pages each, and they talk a lot about experiments. Right, it started with this experiment, and there were this many participants, and here were the results, and it keeps going on and on about kind of experiment to experiment. And I, I really wanted to create something that I thought would cater more to the way young people learn and consume information. It's, it's much more about being concise and having kind of a main takeaway quickly. So, you know, people can feel like there's a sense of progress. They learn something, cool, let's move to the next section. And then if, if they're really intrigued by something, you know, there's a wealth of further topics and, and resources to dive into. But I, I think a lot of books are, because everything is so on demand, it's on our phone, we, we can get the main point easily. I think books have become less popular just for the, for the simple reason that they often are long and it's hard to extract the main points. Uh, and so uh, I think it's, it's a valuable manual for people who, you know, even if you just want to read through the table of contents and get the takeaways to inspire yourself, remind yourself of, you know, some of the things that you should be doing or, or could be doing uh, and have, have since kind of fallen off. I think that's where, where a lot of the value lies. So in essence, you um, connected some of the dots. You looked at different pieces of knowledge and watched those learners study and develop some big ideas and patterns. And um, one of the sections in your book, Connect the Dots, Don't Collect Them, was um, really connected with us. So talk to us about why it's important to be able to connect bits and pieces of knowledge so that we can understand these big ideas in today's world. Absolutely. So I think I'll start by explaining kind of the the meaning of that phrase. So when I mean collect the dots, basically I mean collecting a bunch of bits of information, right? The year Columbus set out for Asia and, and ended up finding America. Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. main general in the War of 1812. A lot of little bits of information that... Facts. Facts, exactly. Facts that in many cases you're not going to need to know in your life. We have Google, we have right. <laughs> a, a litany of resources on demand. If we want that information, uh, unfortunately school is, is still in some cases about drilling in a lot of facts, dates, and figures. Um, and, and what's really important in my opinion, in a, in an age where we have Google, we can look up a lot of this information very quickly uh, the the real skill that is going to help people survive and thrive and really have an awesome life is being able to connect those bits of information. Um, if if you can just look up 
a certain date, um, it's, it's not as valuable to have it in your memory anymore, but if you can connect, you know, the, the sweep of history, you, you can understand how England developed and how that led to the industrial revolution and how that changed the world. That's, that's really important knowledge right there because that teaches you how things have changed over time, potentially where the world is going. And I, I think the future in terms of education is going to be a lot more focused on, you know, what, what are the main principles here? What's, what's happening? Why is it happening? As opposed to the, the old model when, when we didn't have internet, when we didn't have any way to find this information, you had to put it into your brain. You literally had to memorize it if you wanted to be, uh, you know, kind of an educated member of society, someone who could talk about the, the standard set of things that we're supposed to learn in school. Uh, especially as computers become increasingly good at doing a lot of the simple tasks. Um, computers are very good at doing dumb things fast. And so humans are great at doing hard things slow. That's kind of how I like to put it. And hard things are being creative, connecting things that shouldn't or are hard to connect, uh, making decisions based on uh, intuition. That, that's where the, the future of kind of human intelligence lies, in my opinion. So it's this idea that the, the dominant paradigm of, it, of learning has been that we just collect a whole bunch of knowledge and put it in our heads. And uh, that's a big misconception. And now our world is starting to move, at least in the K-12 world, starting to move more towards deeper learning mm -hmm. and making those connections like you talk about. And you know, throughout your book, um, you give really concise snippets on ways to improve our own learning and learning how to learn. But you also talk a little bit about some of the myths, some of the things that we believe but aren't really backed up by any sort of research. So share with us one of your favorite myths about learning that we hold near and dear but isn't actually worth much. Okay. One of my favorite myths. There, there are many, but I, I think I'll I'll stick with one that, that maybe isn't my favorite, but is other people's favorites. Um, Cause I think that that can be more useful. Um, I think one of the most pervasive and in some cases harmful myths is this belief that many people have that reading something over and over again is the best way to learn it and understand it and, and especially be able to answer questions about it on a test. Um, and, and it really comes down to is learning a passive process or an active process. Um, when you're rereading something, which is by far the most common strategy still that high schoolers use, that college students use, I've seen it at every school, the top universities, they still use this. Uh, that the belief is that, you know, if, if I take notes and then I keep rereading what I wrote, what the professor said, you know, kind of the, the main things that I need to, to really cement into my memory, somehow my brain will just kind of open up and I can put that stuff in there 
for safekeeping for later extraction. Um, and unfortunately that's a, just not the way that we learn uh, and B it's remarkably inefficient in terms of time. Uh, it can work for some people, but, but there's a much better um, way to especially learn recall based information. And that is making the process more active. Um, right? If you're trying to learn something, the best way to figure out if you've learned it or not is to test yourself. If, if you think that you know the definition of some concept or a certain formula or whatever it is that you, you want to be able to understand and, and talk about uh, as, if, as if you know it well, the best way is to just say, okay, I'm going to prove it to myself. I'm going to cover up my notes. I'm going to cover up the textbook. Can I recall from memory and talk about what it is that I think I understand? And if you can't, unfortunately, that means it's not a bad thing. It just means there's a gap. There's some things you know, some things you don't. And I, I consistently saw that, especially in the students who are taking uh, pre-med classes that are, that are very heavy in facts and concepts. There, there's just a lot of memorization involved. Uh, the top students all at some point realized that they had to give up just rereading in mm -hmm. favor of only recalling the material. The second they thought they might have a, at least a basic understanding, they'd cover the book, they would mentally test themselves and figure out where those gaps in knowledge were and then fill them as quickly as they could. So that's a great segue into our next question. Um, you know, you gave a, a strategy about covering your notes or quizzing yourself. And in the book, you provide the reader with many, many strategies and techniques. Could you share one or two others that you think would be most valuable um, that we can use to fuel our journey to be better learners? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's another one that is, whenever I talk to students, it's something that after... I explain it makes a bunch of sense, uh, but it, it is hard to intuit. A lot of these strategies are actually counterintuitive, uh, mm -hmm. but this one, uh, it's a, it's a principle called interleaving. Uh, and what it basically means is uh, I'll use the analogy of you're in a ninth grade algebra class. Okay. Um, your topic for the day is graphing linear inequalities. It's chapter six, section four. Um, what usually happens, what, what happened with me, is you would learn the basic concept for the day, and then you would get a set of homework problems associated with that concept. And because it's all about chapter four, or sorry, chapter six, section four, uh, you basically know what you have to do on each homework problem. You know the strategy you have to use. You know a few of the different ways it's applied. And you finish the homework, you move on to Chapter 6, Section 5. Uh, and, and that's the way that most math classes will structure their kind of journey through the material. 
Unfortunately, what happens is the chapter six test comes and everything's mixed up, right? It's, it's unclear what kind of problem you're working on, what strategy to apply, because when things are jumbled, you need to have some sense internally of, you know, what can I use here? What can I not use? Um, and so I think with, with anything that's, that's a little more problem-based, mostly the math and science classes, uh, just a simple switch from assigning homework or, or if it's you trying to study yourself, doing problems of the same type uh, as opposed to mixing them together, which is very much like practicing for the actual test when they are mixed together. Um, when you do that, when you, you have, you know, problem one is, is one kind of question, problem two is a different, you force yourself to, as you're going through the test, ask, hmm, okay, I, I have a tool set of maybe five or so different techniques I could use. Which one's most relevant? Which one makes sense here? Which one doesn't? Which, which makes you a lot more prepared for the test when you, you have to think more. You, you have to, on the fly, figure out what the question's asking and how best to approach it. Um, I think one other strategy that is, I mean, it's, it's something that people have heard very frequently, uh, but I don't think it's, it's given enough attention uh, is the importance of sleep. Um, a lot of really important knowledge about sleep has been uncovered in just the last decade. Uh, and, and we're realizing that without it, learning, especially learning that lasts for more than a few days is literally impossible. There are, there, there are certain processes that happen when your brain is asleep at night that are necessary for any kind of learning to, to truly be consolidated, to stick. Um, and I think that's something that's at least in American schools, very undervalued. I, I remember being in high school and kids would kind of brag about, oh, I just pulled an all-nighter or, you know, look at me, I'm, I'm doing so well, I get so little sleep. And I've seen many students at the top who get their eight hours, they get all the sleep they need. And because of it, they're healthier because you need that rest. You need that time to rejuvenate and, and let that set of knowledge sink in. Uh, and it's more sustainable. Um, cramming for a, a test one night is fine, but, but doing that as a habit over years is something that will rewire your brain in a negative way. And it can take years off your life. So if usually when I, when, when students ask me the first thing they can do to learn better, I tell them, okay, take 30 minutes off your phone use a day and sleep more. Just that. You'll notice the difference. If you can do an hour, great. That's even better. Um, and, and that doesn't even require them to change anything about you know, how they actually learn with the material. It just makes their brain perform better have more energy, be, be more mentally on for lack of a better phrase. So those are, those are two good tips that we could communicate to our learners to, 
become better learners. Uh, and as school leaders, we oftentimes have conversations around here about, you know, what are we preparing our kids for and our kindergartners that are coming into school this year uh, will graduate in 2030. And what is the world they're going to go into? And, and we oftentimes say the best thing is for them to just learn to be learners. Um, so as school leaders, uh, and most of the listeners on this podcast are school leaders like ourselves, um, what, what advice would you give us uh, in terms of helping those who are in our care to become better learners? Absolutely. It's, it's really exciting to me to hear you guys say that because the world is changing very rapidly. I, I think in the future, your degree or your pedigree or, or whatever we could rest on in the past will matter much less than your ability to learn and develop new skills and, and be a really valuable member of the workforce who can actually produce important, uh, useful things. Um, and so I'd say in terms of advice, I think that specifically learning how to learn is an incredibly important skill that is not taught we're taught what to learn in many cases we're, we're told all these things are important in order to be an educated member of society. You need to learn ancient history and pre-calculus and, and all these things, but no one ever sits us down and really even briefly just goes over uh, how does the process work? How can you make the best use of your time and, and how can you make it enjoyable? Because a, a lot of the techniques that, students use because they take a long time and because they often give students overconfidence uh, they make the learning process less enjoyable and much more stressful Um, I would say something else that I've I've been very glad to see trickle down into schools and, and this is something that really affects young kids uh, is, is the work of Carol Dweck, which is the, the notion of having two different mindsets that are possible. One is a, a mm-hmm. fixed mindset where you, know, you kind of think that, okay, this is my lot. I've been given this amount of intelligence. This is my IQ and that's about it versus having a, a more growth approach where <clears throat> even if you don't get it now, you will get it at some point if you sure. – apply effort and and use the right Mm -hmm. principles. And I think emphasizing that in students is something that needs to be done, if not daily, Mm -hmm. on a weekly basis, because there there are so many points in students' lives where they have the opportunity to tell themselves if they're not getting something or if their peers are maybe a little bit ahead to, to say, oh, I'm not meant for this or I'm stupid or this subject is, is not for me. And if that kind of self-talk happens for too long, it, it ends up really affecting the way people view learning and consequently the, the way the rest of their life unfolds. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think your, your connection to Carol Dweck and fixed versus growth mindset and the idea of yet is even more important Um, to this idea, or or not yet, as opposed to, I can't do this, I can't do this yet. Um, It's even more important when thinking about the strategies that you share in your text, because 
it's all about, I can't do this yet, but I can get there. So thinking about um, everything that's in your book, and you have a lot of those strategies, but you also have some resources at the end of the book, what might be a one or two go-to resource or a place um, for someone who picks up the book to start, those of us curious about learning how to learn? Sure. I, I think one of my favorite resources, and I'm, I'm actually not sure if it's in the current version of the, the resources section. It, if it's not, I will add it. Um, it's something that we haven't talked about, and it, it's an article called Attached to Technology and Paying a Price. Um, it's a New York Times article from 2010. It's actually fairly old. But uh, in that article, it talks about basically what's happened since smartphones came out, since most notably the iPhone came out in 2007 and how that's changing the way that students learn um, and people who to work in an office environment. So it's, it's broadly applicable. But one of the most fascinating things in that article is it talks about a study, a very uh, recent set of studies from the University of Texas, Austin. Um, I was absolutely shocked when I read this. Um, basically what they did is they, they wanted to see if having a smartphone nearby when reading a book or studying something would affect people's cognitive performance. Uh, and what they determined from testing people on a, on a range of different very standard tests of memory and attention, kind of the way you assess people's brain performance. They found that if you're trying to learn something, you're trying to get important work done, just the presence of a smartphone, it doesn't even have to be yours, it doesn't even have to be on, will make you score worse on a variety of different cognitive wow. tasks. Wow. And, and the reason is because a smartphone is very different than having a book on the table or a cup of coffee. A smartphone, whether it's on, whether it's yours, is, especially if you can see it, it's a portal into a very entertaining, very stimulating external world that gives you validation. It gives you messages that say, hey, Johnny, you got a text, you matter, you're connected, you're important, you need to answer this right now, right? It's, it's so much more entertaining. It feels better to play in that world. And unfortunately, something as simple as just having that nearby, whether you know it or not, ends up giving you fewer resources, mental resources, that is to, to bring to the table. Um, yeah, that's such an interesting point because, um, you know, we often have that conversation about devices and distractions and learning to manage the distractions and the shiny lore of something pinging. <laughs> so interesting, interesting uh, observation. And yeah, and it's, it's not that phones are bad. That's, right. that's, that's definitely not the takeaway here. I love my smartphone. I use it for anything. It's <laughs> so do we yeah, exactly. It's, it's just having being a little more intentional about when you use it 
and when you don't having times where you can go all out, you can check your Facebook feed or Twitter feed, but when you're trying to do something that requires real focus and, and kind of all your mental energy, having it nearby, having it constantly distract you is a surefire way to produce lower quality work and have it take longer. Mm-hmm. And it's well, as, yeah. as just putting it in another room, giving it to your mom, giving it to a coworker, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the first thing I usually tell students because mm-hmm. it, it's not like you're implementing some new skill. You need a bunch of practice. It's literally just turning off and moving it. Mm-hmm. And then the effects kind of roll down from there. Yeah. We actually, I don't know, Randy, if you remember, um, which speaker we heard that talked to us about his productivity tool of going into airplane mode. Yeah. Do you remember that? I remember the phrase. Absolutely. I remember the person. Yeah. Kind of parallels with that Mm -hmm. idea that Lucas shared. Well, Lucas, this has been a a really engaging conversation about a topic we're very passionate about too. And you have some interesting things in your bio that you dropped in there. Tell us, what are you working on? What's next for Lucas? Sure. So, uh, I'm I'm still based in the Bay Area right now. Um, what I'm working on currently is trying to bring a lot of the research that I've done and some of the principles from my book to large companies. Um, large companies, especially in this area, are, are very interested in kind of changing the way they do corporate training. Um, they they're kind of realizing that their biggest competitive advantage going forward is to have the best people, people who can stay on top of the latest tools, who can continually adapt to, you know, the skills they need to have. Uh, And so I'm moving into kind of helping corporations develop their talent as best as possible, change the, the way they do, corporate workshops or bring in speakers uh, towards a, a more active employee focused process. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lucas. We really appreciate the time that you spent talking with us about uh, Beyond Brilliance. And for our listeners, we have some links in the show notes, the book review on getting smart that Randy um, first saw and pointed us in the direction of, of this resource. You can also connect with Lucas on Twitter and Medium and follow Beyond Brilliance on Twitter at at Brilliance Books. So um, we'll add some resources there and get them up on the site so you can see them as well. Yes, and thanks so much for being here today, Lucas. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's question, what did you hear today that could improve your own ability to learn how to learn? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or access the resources mentioned, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for Season 4, Episode 15. That's all for now. We'll be back soon with another episode featuring a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Lucas. Thanks, Lucas. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.